Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It goes without saying that making even the most simplest movie is a massive undertaking, both in terms of time and money, and so it isn't something that filmmakers tend to dive into lightly. But that doesn't mean that there isn't room for outside-the-box artists to effectively approach movies as elaborately costly experiments testing the bounds of both themselves and cinema as a medium in the process. These 10 films were all made as what-if challenges, where the directors were more interested in seeing whether their bonkers idea would actually work rather than being confident that it would. In an increasingly risk-averse, safe-playing Hollywood, this left-field bravery tends to be commended and championed even when it doesn't always work. I'm Marcus Bronzy, this is What Culture, and here are 10 movies only directed as experiments. Number 10, a shot-for-shot remake of a classic movie, Psycho. Fresh off the success of Goodwill Hunting, indie darling Gus Van Sant wasn't much interested in any of the projects being offered his way and instead suggested remaking Alfred Hitchcock's 1960 horror classic Psycho, this time filmed in colour with a contemporary late 90s setting and, well, Vince Vaughn as Norman Bates. Van Sant's motivation was to see if he could take a classic successful movie, remake it for a modern audience and net equal or superior box office returns to the original. How did it turn out? Well, not well. Though Van Sant received some scattered praise for the sheer audacity of making a near shot-for-shot remake of Hitchcock's masterpiece, Psycho 1998 was largely panned by critics and audiences alike, whilst winning a Razzie Award for the worst remake or sequel and worst director. Number 9. A near wordless movie adapted from a letter. All is lost. In 2011, up-and-coming filmmaker J.C. Shandor wanted to test whether or not he could create a compelling film from a most simple cinematic hook, a written letter. This eventually led to Shandor making All Is Lost, a minimalist near-wordless survival drama following a man, Robert Redford, the film's single cast member, stranded at sea. The film opens with Redford's protagonist reading aloud a letter which he writes in the event that he doesn't survive the ordeal, and this was also the first part of the movie that Shandor wrote. Shandor's idea was to have this two-minute monologue lay the groundwork for a movie that otherwise features almost no words and boldly the film's final script ran at just 31 pages. As Shandor himself puts it, the letter came to me. Then it was, how do you take a character to a place in an interesting way to write a letter like that? How did it turn out? Terrifically, the film received a near universal critical acclaim for both Redford's performance and Shander's direction, making the most of his resource spare gimmick and proving that a film can be plenty compelling with little dialogue. 
Number eight, a movie shot entirely on an iPhone. Unsane. Steven Soderbergh is one of the most dynamic and surprising filmmakers working today and never one to rest on his laurels. He decided to take a deep plunge into the world of lo-fi filmmaking with his self-funded 2018 psychological horror film, Unsane. Soderbergh's long-term frustrations with the expense of a Hollywood production prompted him to shoot the film on an iPhone 7 Plus in a mere two weeks with minimal cast and crew, whilst allowing him to test how far kitchen sink no-budget filmmaking has come. How did it turn out? Impressively. Not only did Soderbergh's film actually get a significant theatrical release around the world, it proved that a compelling story and strong performances will always matter more than how slick a film looks. Yes, the low-grade cinematography is evident throughout, especially when viewed on the big screen, but it's nevertheless a stunning testament to the results an iPhone can produce. Financially, things were trickier as though Unsane went on to gross almost 15 million worldwide on a 1.4 million budget, a 20 million marketing spend and a wide release meant that it needed to be far more profitable to be truly successful. This clearly didn't deter Soderbergh though, as he shot his recent sports drama High Flying Bird on an iPhone 8 and managed to avoid the box office issue entirely by selling it to Netflix. Number 7. The first major single take movie, Rope. Though Alfred Hitchcock is best remembered for his conventionally styled horror and thriller pictures, he decided to work totally outside the box with his experimental 1948 cult classic, Rope. Hitchcock wanted to see whether or not it was possible to seamlessly blend lengthy takes together and give the impression that the entire movie was one unbroken sequence. And whilst it's a clever trick that has been immortalised by more modern movies such as Birdman, it was a far more imposing technical challenge without the benefit of digital blending to help stitch takes together. Rather, camera movements were precisely planned to ensure seamless joins between takes and the cast had to learn exact cues for movement and speaking. Hilariously, when one crew member had their foot run over by a camera dolly, they had to be gagged and quickly removed from the set to avoid blowing the meticulously assembled take with a scream of pain. How did it turn out? Well, at the time, critics were highly mixed on both narrative and the technical success of Hitchcock's stylistic sleight of hand. In more recent decades, however, the critical and audience tide has turned massively on the film, which while hardly regarded as an essential Hitchcock, is nevertheless lauded as an audacious, ahead-of-its-time experiment topped by a blackly comic plot and fine performances. Number 6. A test run for new editing and cinematography techniques. The Fan. When director Tony Scott signed on the helm of 1996 thriller The Fan, starring Robert De Niro and Wesley Snipes, he was already putting together his next film, Enemy of the State, and effectively decided to use The Fan to test out some of the new stylistic tricks he picked up. Scott made no pains about admitting that he agreed to direct the film to experiment with various filming and editing techniques he was considering using on Enemy of the State in order to give it a contemporary, urgent, edgy feel. Above all else, he wanted to tinker around with whittling down his average shot time considerably. And that he certainly did. How did it turn out? On one hand, The Fan isn't a very good film and many critics took umbrage with Scott's kinetic, cut-happy visual style, though it is by far the most distinctive and memorable element of an otherwise relatively bland thriller. And while The Fan quickly sank without a trace, Scott's prep for Enemy of the State clearly paid off as that film, while that film was a solid critical and commercial success and remains one of Scott's best-loved and most stylish films. 
Number five, a single take movie recorded and broadcast live, Lost in London. In an ultimate feat of effort, why not filmmaking, Woody Harrelson decided that for his directorial debut, he wanted to make a drama film shot entirely in one take and crazier still, would be simulcast live to cinemas across the world. The film, Lost in London, was loosely based on Harrelson's own running with the law in London in 2002. It featured 30 cast members, including Owen Wilson and Willie Nelson. 14 shooting locations, both interior and out on the London streets, where theoretically, anyone could interrupt the live broadcast, which took place on January the 19th, 2017. Harrelson made it clear in pre-film interviews that he simply wanted to see how the madcap idea turned out, whether it was a success or a failure. He completed two film test runs of the project before the live broadcast, one of which went well, whilst the other was an abject disaster with light batteries failing and sound becoming distorted. Well, on the night, surprisingly, there were very few technical hitches to take note of, and basically, it was an impressive success. Despite the obvious limitations of the concept, the story keeps up a frantic pace and switches in and out of actors' locations, while clearly aided by a cameraman who must have fantastic cardio conditioning. Number 4. A no-budget Shakespeare adaptation filmed in Joss Whedon's house. Much ado about nothing. After wrapping principal photography on the Avengers in September 2011, Joss Whedon used his holiday before post-production began to shoot a no-budget adaptation of Shakespeare's legendary play, Much Ado About Nothing, in his own house no less. The film was shot in just 12 days using mostly natural light, handheld style for that extra kitchen sink feel. Given that he'd spent much of the preceding two years working on what was one of the biggest movies of all time up to that point, swinging in a totally different direction for this project must have been a welcome change of pace, no matter what became of it. How did it turn out? Whedon's film was quickly picked up for distribution by Lionsgate. Whilst it was hardly a truly memorable adaptation of the Bard's work, there's a charming simplicity to Whedon's stripped-down approach. This is clearly a movie Whedon made for himself rather than anyone else, and in that sense, it's easily his most personal work to date. Number 3. A single-take historical drama with thousands of cast members. Russian Ark. Lost in London seems like a positively sane undertaking compared to Alexander Sakurov's 2002 art house drama Russian Ark. Though Sakurov didn't shoot his film live, it was filmed in a single unbroken take and because shooting a movie with people just talking in one take wasn't enough, he decided to make the film a lively trawl through the history of St. Petersburg, featuring more than 2,000 actors and three orchestras. The film cinematographer and Steadicam operator was tasked with executing a 90-minute take which would see him travel through 33 rooms of the Russian State Hermitage Museum on December the 23rd, 2001. How did it turn out? Astoundingly. Though the actual content of the film may not appeal to many beyond history aficionados, the sheer brave nature of the project makes it compulsively watchable all the same. The sheer mind-boggling complexity of the production, with the elaborate dance sequences and absurdly fluid camera movements, is literally jaw-dropping and completely gripping from first minute to last. The successful take for the film was in fact the fourth take after the first three attempts failed and the camera only had enough battery power for one more. Number 2. A coming-of-age movie shot over 12 years. Boyhood. 
In 2001, director Richard Linklater made a seemingly insane decision to start shooting a coming-of-age drama which would be shot in real time over 12 years. Linklater's plan was to reconvene with a small cast once per year and shoot the new scenes depicting the development of not only the young lead, Ella Coltrane, but also his co-stars Ethan Hawke, Patricia Arquette and Linklater's own daughter, Laura Lai. The long-form nature of the project meant that Linklater wasn't entirely sure of the direction that it would take, writing material after reviewing each year's footage and allowing the cast to incorporate elements from their own changing lives. Incredibly, the production company IFC never asked Linklater to view the footage of the film throughout the 12 years, simply giving him £200,000 a year to complete the shooting. How did it turn out? Better than anyone could have ever expected. The film premiered at Sundance in 2014 to a near universal acclaim and went on to become a major box office success relative to its budget. Whilst receiving six Oscar nominations, including Best Picture and Best Director, and netting Arquette a well-earned Best Supporting Actress award. And because 12 years isn't enough of a commitment, his next project will be an adaptation of Stephen Sodenheim's musical Merrily We Roll Along, which will be filmed over, wait for it, 20 years in order to reflect the musical's own passage of time. Number one, an anti-Hollywood drama with a strict minimalist shooting style, Festen. Festen, aka The Celebration, is the first film in the Dogma 95 series, an artistic movement conceived by Danish filmmakers Thomas Vinterberg and Lars von Trier. As a protest against excessive Hollywood productions, Dogma films must conform to a set of stylistic guidelines, namely purely location shooting with no sets, only diegetic sound recorded during filming, handheld camera work, colour film without any post-production or grading, and no superficial actions such as murders. This is an attempt to train a focus on the story and the characters above all else. Vinterberg's Festen tells the tale of a family gathering to celebrate their patriarch's 60th birthday with deliciously darkly comic results. It was the first dogma film and therefore a massive creative gamble to see whether or not the dreamy dogma manifesto was actually a viable filmmaking alternative. How did it turn out? Festen was an instant critical hit, winning the jury prize at 1998 Cannes Film Festival and quickly earning esteem as a cult classic of world cinema. More importantly though, it effectively made Dogma a dramatic subgenre of its own, with 35 Dogma movies being made between 1998 and 2004 before Vinterberg and Von Trier decided the rules themselves were becoming formulaic, stylistic and therefore shackles that needed to be broken. 